0: You know, I want to have products for her that really tell her and make her feel like she's the grown woman she is who's had an incredible, amazing life and deserves to be treated with dignity.
1: Hi, I'm Bobby, a certified caregiving consultant and educator. I work one-on-one with family caregivers to help them find solutions to the often confusing, sometimes frustrating issues that come with a diagnosis of dementia.
2: And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist.
1: And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia.
2: Our goal is to focus on you, the caregiver, offer some practical insights and share some emotional support. And maybe we'll share a laugh or two because we all know laughter's the best medicine.
1: And don't forget the wine, Mike.
2: I won't forget your fermented grape juice. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we've talked many times about how caregiving changed the direction of your life. You know, you became the caregiver for my dad, and then. You shifted from wanting to write the great American novel to supporting caregivers in any way you can, and that's one of the reasons why we do this show.
1: Um, absolutely, and I just kind of married my wish to, to be a writer with caregiving, and that's where the first couple of books came from. Um, but while many of our guests are professionals, we feel it's important to talk with family caregivers to share their experience and let other people know that they are not alone. Uh, Because being a caregiver with someone with a dementia is very often life-changing, and a number of us find ways to support other caregivers going forward. And that brings us to today's guest, who is a caregiver for her mother who has Alzheimer's. Her mother moved to Arizona to be closer to her in 2016 after some early health issues. Over the past several months, she has left her career to care for her mother, bought a house that could accommodate her mother's needs, started a business, and got married. So we know that we're going to hear a lot of great stuff from Jillian. We are very pleased to welcome Jillian McCleary. Jillian, thank you so much for being with us, and boy, you've had a lot of life changes in the short period of time. I have, and thank
0: you so much for having me on here. It's just wonderful to be able to share my story with you. I've heard your stories, and it's great to be a part of my—share my story, too.
1: Well, why don't you start us off by telling us a little bit about your mom? Sure, yeah. Uh, as you said in the
0: introduction, my mom moved to Arizona to be closer to me in 2016. And, you know, my mom is an incredible woman. I am one of the fortunate caregivers that I have always had a really good relationship with her, but my mom has had a hard life. she was a single mom of four children for a lot of um, the time we were growing up. But she was an incredibly hard worker. She devoted her life to her kids. And when she needed help and she needed assistance, I was very happy to be
1: there for her. And w- when did you first start noticing that she might be having a problem? You know, that that's such a good question. I did
0: notice... The first time I really noticed there was an issue was in 2015, when she had both her hips replaced at that time. And I went back uh, to Iowa, where she was living at the time, and was helping her heal from these hip surgeries. And as I was going through the house, you know, you start to just notice there's some weird decisions being made as far as where you place things and sort of her thought process with how the house was being organized. And... At the time, it wasn't a huge red flag. It was just sort of, you know, mom's kind of struggling a little bit here. It wasn't like I thought, oh, my gosh, my mom is getting dementia, anything like that. But it just sort of felt like, you know, there's something a little off. And since then, there has been a decline pretty much every year over the last, so that would be about six years since that time.
2: Now, I have to ask you, I know with my dad, I was in pretty much a state of denial where I didn't want to see it. And um, and my dad had issues all of of my life, child and adult. Uh, you know, he had been diagnosed early on with um, uh, schizophrenia and was on medication. So I just attributed it it to that issue um, and didn't and, and really lived in denial. Did you have some of those same thoughts?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I thought she's overwhelmed. She has a lot going on. It's hard to remember a lot of things. And you don't really want to necessarily take those next steps, especially because, you know, there's early stage, there's still so much themselves. And, you know, it's easy to just think maybe this is just normal aging. But my mom's older sister also had Alzheimer's. And it became clear that maybe this was also happening to my mom, too.
1: Well, one of the things that stood out to me when you talked about you went to be with her when she had um, hip replacements, and one of the things that we know now is very often anesthesia can bring the issue to the forefront. It can cause a decline a lot sooner than there might have been or harsher than there might have been. So even though she might have been having you know, some very early signs, having these double surgeries could have very much contributed to what you were seeing and what she was feeling as well. Yes,
0: but you can hit the nail on the head. I Right after the surgeries, I talked to the doctors about her memory and about what was going on, and they didn't mention what you just said. They instead said, you know, she's under a lot of stress from the surgeries and we just sort of need to give it time. This sometimes happens. But in hindsight, the anesthesia really brought it out for sure.
2: And a lot of times, unfortunately, the medical professionals, unless they're the neurologists and they're dealing with this day in and day out, they're really not in tune to it yeah. either, just like we are.
1: Yeah, there was a time when Mike's dad with us and he had, he had a heart attack. And, you know, at first they said he was very lucky he wouldn't have to have a pacemaker or anything like that. Well, it turned out that he did need to have a pacemaker. And I know that the anesthesia that he underwent at having those procedures, having a stent put in and and getting the pacemaker definitely affected him because for days he thought he was back in Italy. Um, Wow, that's
0: so tough. Yeah, and... The doctors at the time just kept telling me, just wait it out. It's going to get better. And it did get a little bit better afterwards, but it it never was quite the same for her after the anesthesia. Right.
1: I was I was looking at the notes about starting therapy and medication during her caregiving. Yeah,
0: I would love to talk about that. It's not something people usually do want to talk about. But for me, I think it's really important that other caregivers know that they can reach out for help and to feel okay with that. I men- You mentioned at the very beginning that I've had all these life changes really quickly in back-to-back order, and that's a lot to take on. And I actually, you know, foolishly thought I was handling it really well because I was still making it to work, I was still doing things on time. You know, I had this idea that in order to be depressed, you had to just be laying in bed all day. I had never heard of people like high-functioning depression before. But, you know, the truth is, is I was having days where I would be driving to work and I would be thinking, maybe I'll get in a car accident. And that that's really dark. I wasn't necessarily wanting to be suicidal, but I just was looking, thinking how much of a relief it would be to get out of my responsibilities yeah. today because it just felt too like too much. And I reached out to a therapist and I kind of thought, oh, they're going to say, you're fine. That sounds so silly in hindsight, but I kind of thought they would. I knew something was wrong, but I didn't think it was that bad. And I was lucky that I was able to use, you know, a Zoom-type session to talk with a therapist. And my very first session, they do an assessment with you for depression and anxiety. And I thought it was going really well. And then she spent the last five to ten minutes saying you have major depression, you need to get help, you need to probably be on medication. And I cried and cried and cried. I was not ready to hear that truth from someone. But thank God for that therapist being so honest with me. Because I, you know, we hear all the time from people on your show, caregiving is hard. And you have everything else already hard in your life. It's not like Everything outside of caregiving is just always perfect and hunky-dory. And then you had caregiving on top of it, and I really did need help. And I did have a little bit of a stigma as far as starting medication and therapy. Just I shouldn't have, but I did. And it was one of the best decisions that I've made, for sure.
2: What's the, what's the saying? It's okay to not be okay?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of times caregivers get into trouble because they you can't admit or they don't even recognize that depression is involved in it. We were very much into it. And, you know, we often mentioned that we had tough times as a couple during that time. And it was Mike who said, we're depressed.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, what the, what the real um, glaring evidence was after my dad passed, um, once we got everything settled with the estate and— all that kind of good stuff. We actually went to Italy about a month after he passed, and we went to Italy in honor of him, and we were there for 23 days. And when we came home and we walked into the house and we looked at, around and went, wow, we didn't do this, we didn't do that, we didn't do the other thing. We just wallowed in our sorrow and our depression, if you will. And of course, in a matter of uh, a week or so, we had everything back up to snuff and we were going down that path. That trip to Italy was um, an amazing thing for us, therapeutic-wise, that we didn't um, need to seek the professional help. But I think we would have if we hadn't gone to Italy.
0: Yeah. No, that's huge to get a break like that because especially when you are in the throes of caregiving, You're so focused on how the health of the person you're caring for is. You're not thinking Mm -hmm. about your own health, let alone your mental health, on top of Mm -hmm. that. And so, Mike, that was a lot of awareness for you to even see that it was there because I'm glad I was woken up and realized how much of a problem I was having.
1: And thank you so much for sharing it because other caregivers need to hear that, you know, um, through... The consulting business I do, a lot of times, the people that I'm caring for, I keep telling them, I'm as concerned about you as I am about the person that you care in your care. And there's a lot of crying going on and a lot of support. And um, at least one of the people that I work with also works with a therapist on a regular basis. So putting this information out there and letting caregivers know it's it's okay, as Mike said, not to be okay.
2: Now... Talk to us about Love Lind.
0: <laughs> yeah, Love Lind. It, my mother's name is Linda, and I am starting a business because, like so many caregivers, I've noticed things that I wanted for my mom and wished were there, weren't there as I've been part of this journey so far. And I'd like to create those products. And in honor of her, the business name is Love Lind. And really, it's it's simple things, you know. Early in my mom's disease, um, she wanted to keep reading mystery books. And she loved mystery books. She kept going to the library, checking them out, and she was blaming everything else, you know, that it wasn't large print or that kind of stuff, but she couldn't finish a mystery book anymore. And I would like to just create even short mystery books that can be read in one sitting that she has a dignity with that makes it feel like it looks like a mystery book she knows. It follows the same patterns. And I'd like to put those kinds of things out there because It is shocking how much isn't there. I think, you know, I'm I'm an elder millennial, and I've been a little spoiled in that it kind of seems like there's always an answer for everything. You know, somebody's always inventing the latest technology. But with dementias, there's still a lot out there that people don't recognize the need for or just hasn't been created yet. And so I'm hoping if I can make the process just easier for one other person, that would be amazing.
2: Well, sadly enough... um there's a whole lot more out there now than there was when we were in our caregiver journey. Um, and ours ended, uh, what, f- 13 years ago?
0: 100%. So true. I can't even imagine.
2: So, yeah, it's uh, it, it's one of those things. But people like you coming on board and adding more and more and more is what makes the whole of the caregiving world a better, better place for the caregivers.
1: So you talked about these... Many mysteries, which, as as a writer, to me is absolutely fascinating, Um, because there always have been and there always will be storytellers, and the form that they're in isn't as much isn't as important as the story itself. So I think this is a great idea. Now, are these being written now or? Are you looking for resources to create these? How can we help?
0: (laughs) That's such a great question. I actually hired a researcher, or a writer, excuse me, to write the first book, and it's going to be on Amazon within the next month. Just put it out there and see if anyone else could use something like this. And yeah, I'm definitely looking for other people who would be interested in writing short stories. I bought books for my mom early on that were designed for individuals living with dementia and they never had the plot that she was used to or you know they would be lovely but didn't quite hold up her attention. And so I'd like to have things they can still be short and sweet, but have that feel, you know, when you end a chapter, you want the next chapter to kind of leave you hanging with a mystery Mm -hmm. book. And so that same kind of format just much shorter.
1: Is there anything else, any other products in Loveland that you'd like to share with us and our listeners? Because we're fascinated. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Thank you so much for asking. Yeah. You know, another thing that I had to create for my mom that I thought would be easy is early on, we had to label all of her cupboards. And I'm guessing a lot of people have to do this, but, you know, it's actually never come up in any of my caregiving support groups or anything. And she was very embarrassed having her labels, having labels on the outside of her cupboard. So if you can imagine, it said bowls and, you know, utensils and that kind of stuff. And she she didn't like it when people came over to see that she needed those reminders to tell her what was behind the door. So I created these very fancy vinyl letters that look kind of like how people label their sugar, you mm-hmm. know, kind of, you know, decorative. And I put those on her cabinets and on her cupboards. And so people then thought she was doing it more as a decorative thing. And I would love to have more products like that, things that really let people maintain a sense of dignity while also being very functional. And so I'd love to have have items that they can just incorporate into their life that also don't make them ever feel, you know, my mom's not a child. I wanted to buy puzzles for her and they looked like they were for preschoolers. They've gotten much better. But you know, I want to have products for her that really tell her and make her feel like she's the grown woman she is, who's had an incredible, amazing life, and deserves to be treated with dignity.
1: Well, I can see where those labels on the on the cupboards would be helpful. Also, if you have people coming in to your home to help with care, and you know it, the fact that they're decorative too, you know that's that's absolute plus. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. The simplest thing can make such a big difference. It's
0: it's true. And I kept thinking I'd go on Amazon and find it. And I, maybe they do exist. That's the other thing is, you know, I've been really trying to get active on social media because you become a caregiver and you don't know what you don't know. And it's amazing the resources that are out there. But when you're so busy, it's tough to find them and you, it's hard to even know where to start. So I've been really trying to network more with other caregivers and trying to learn from them, so that I can even know what's there.
2: Mm-hmm. So, do you uh, participate in this uh, dementia care support group? I do.
0: Yeah, it's actually
2: oh, it's actually kind
0: of funny how I started with that because, you know, I didn't label myself as a caregiver, even though I now say I've been caring for my mom since 2016. You know, I was in my mid 30s, and the word caregiver to me this is going to sound, it just sounded like an older adult, not mm-hmm. somebody in their 30s being a caregiver. Mm-hmm. And one of my colleagues at work came up to me and said, you know, the, you know our workplace offers a caregiver support group. And I thought, well, that, that's not me. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Are you talking to me? Yes, I care for my mom. I help her out. But I had never applied that word to myself. And I think especially, Especially um, for, you know, I see a lot of people in their 20s starting to do caregiving. Until you apply that word, it's hard to even know where to look for help. And so I don't know how how to get that out there, but I am so grateful. I went to that first support group thinking I wasn't a caregiver. kind of feeling like a fraud there because, you know, my mom didn't live with me at the time. And I, again, another time I just cried and cried after I left because I felt this connection with everybody there and to feel heard and, to hear similar stories. I have, I've always tried to seek out groups ever since then.
2: And, and that you're not alone.
0: Exactly, not alone.
1: One of the things that we try to teach people is caregiving isn't location-based. There are many, you know, distance caregivers, and there are so many of those who, for whatever reason, cannot take care of their person at home. And there's, there's no wrong answer, whatever works for your family. Um, But there is that disconnect between younger people and caregiving, which makes it, it's hard to convince them that you need to know about this stuff and you need to know where to find the answers because yes, you are young, but we're all fine until we're not. And with young onset growing at the rate that it's going, chances are, it's going to affect your family a lot sooner than you think it will.
0: Yeah, you're 100% right. And I, I see that more and more often there's caregiver support groups for millennials. And I think that's so important and to hear the word caregiving, because even if you are trying to find resources, you almost have to type the word caregiving into Google to find them, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so it's, it's a word that I hope people are going to start hearing. And I hope that I can s- maybe... S- get someone else to realize they're a caregiver. I'm so grateful to my colleague who encouraged me to go to the support group.
1: I think when we started down this path, we did not think of ourselves as caregivers. We thought a family member needs support, and this is what you do. 100%. Mike's Mike's mom had passed away. We knew that his dad would not be able to live on his own. What's going to happen? Well, he's coming to live with us. That's what you do. We didn't think about it as being a caregiver. We just thought about it as being a family member.
2: And that's what we thought it was going to be. He was going to live with us. Yeah. As opposed to taking care of him, provide a roof, food, have some chat every now and again. But no, we totally got entrenched. Bobby really got entrenched. I had that pesky day job, and uh, she was twenty-four-seven. God bless her.
1: Well, at first, you know, he was feeling guilty. And, you know, when I left my job and I said, oh, yeah, feel bad for me. In the morning, I'll help him, you know, get his medications, make sure he eats. Um, And then I'm going to sit on the deck with my newspaper and drink a cup of tea.
2: (laughs) Or or grape juice.
1: (laughs) Not in the morning.
2: (laughs) It's five o'clock somewhere. Yeah.
0: I think a lot of people think that that's what caregiving is and it's unfortunate, yeah. you know, when I just quit my job recently, I think there were a few people who were who were kind of like what are you going to do? And I'm thinking, what do you mean? What am I going to do? There's there's plenty to do. But there is a misconception for sure.
1: Oh, I what are you going to do all day? Our daughter was worried about me, you know, my my social interaction I got from going to work was going to go away. And and some of that isolation, you began to feel, but there was no worry at all about what I was going to do all day. (laughs) And unfortunately, some people think of it as, oh, you get to stay home, you don't have to work. There's a great deal of work involved in, in being a caregiver, even if it's, you know, your person under your care is in a care home or in a hospital, there's a great deal to do regardless. And then you have the emotional effect. And we've already talked about the depression that comes along with it. Caregivers need our support as much as we can possibly give them. And there's really nothing really in place now to protect those who are caring for others from the collateral damage of the work that they're doing.
0: Yeah, it's tough. And as you said, I, I'm a product of somebody who's encountering this 13 years after you were going through it, and there's still more out there. But it's not enough for caregivers. We're not getting enough support, and it's not understood. So thank you for spreading the message. And you know, I, I will just also quickly add, I, I took care of my grandfather when I was in high school. He had a brain tumor and had very similar symptoms to dementia. And I think that may have played a role, too. I just always felt like we cared for a family member. It wasn't necessarily caregiving. We right. moved in with him and took care of him. And and that's important, but it's also important to make sure you, get, you understand the label and the role so that you
1: know what resources to look for. So what's coming up with Loveland?
0: <laughs> uh, my first two books will be out in the next month, and I hope to also you know, start some other products that I are in the works, like the labels, those should be next. And I hope I can help at least one other caregiver. That would certainly be the hope. I'm so grateful to all the caregivers that have come before me and helped me to where I am. And hopefully I can do the same for everybody else.
1: Well, I would ask you to keep in touch with us when, as you have new products, because we're working with, with caregivers and their families all the time. And if there's something out there that we can pass on and let them know where to find it, we would, be, we would love to do that. Thank you. That's incredible. Thank you.
2: So, Jillian, it's been an absolute joy having you on. You're such a delight. Your, your spirit is just overflowing, and I'm sure our listeners feel good about hearing you, your story, and that they're not alone. So thank you for that.
1: Thank you. And I'm sure that your mom and all the other people who are affected by the work that you do appreciate you and what you're doing. Thank you so much for being on our show. Thanks, Mike and Bobby. You can find more information about Jillian and links to the Loveland website on our show website at Show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby.
2: And I'm Mike.
1: And we are dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia.
2: Bobby and I would love to hear from you, answer any questions you might have, or just find out how you're doing. Please connect with us on our Roger That Facebook and Twitter. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R O D G E R, that.show.
1: Roger That is produced by Missing Link a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast raising the bar on craft cocktails. Here you meet interesting folks, enjoy boozy banter, and learn how to make craft cocktails from a master.
2: And if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies, and all those in between.
1: Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows as your review helps our show reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company.